Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the nine to five mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. Hey everybody, Lars Lindstrom here. Welcome back to Creative Income. I am so proud of myself. This is the second consecutive week that I've actually put the podcast out. Amazing what happens when you come home and you actually are uh, able to commit to the things that you say you're going to do. Um, it's been a wonderful week, guys. I uh, Actually, a couple weeks. I um, have done some some pretty rad shoots. Uh, one has been announced, so I can I can talk about it. It was um, I did a Tiny Desk series for NPR uh, with the band Migos, and that's dropping this Wednesday. So, you're probably listening uh, to this as it drops, so at noon. Anyway, that's that's really cool. We did three Alexa Mini LFs, which are fun cameras, and uh, some Signature Primes, which are fun lenses, for those that don't know. Um, and it turned out really neat. It was like, obviously, we needed to to light it so that we could, you know, shoot wides and close-ups at the same time. Um, it was a live performance that we then mixed uh, later and cut later, um, but it's it turned out really great. I'm, I'm super happy with the look. It was, uh, I'll, I'll try and post a, a behind the scenes photo actually on my Instagram at creative income podcast. Um, so that you guys can take a look at it. Um, the other shoot I did, I can't talk about yet, but I was really, really happy with it. I think it turned out really cool. Um, and you for sure know the musician that we shot. Um, so anyway, uh, I will keep you posted on that one as it comes out, probably beginning of uh, October, maybe September sometime. Anyway, um, but otherwise, yeah, really great week. I'm going mountain biking in Mammoth this weekend, um, which I, should I not be saying stuff like this? Like that, that seems like if you're going to burglarize my house, this weekend would be a really great time to do it. Um, so next weekend is what I mean. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to Mammoth next week. Yeah. Um, yeah, to do mountain biking. I'm feeling great, man. My shoulder, my arm, they're feeling, they're feeling kind of he- not healed. I think a torn rotator cuff takes nine to 12 months to patch up and not feel sore anymore. But as long as I don't crash, <clears throat> then we should be in good shape. So here's fingers crossed, no crashing. I've been three times now in the last week. Um, and it's really great. It feels awesome to be back on two wheels and, and, uh, yeah, I missed it a lot. Um, anyway, uh, this week I've got, um, my buddy Henry on the podcast. He, um, owns a rental house in town called Boca. Um, they are the rental house that I can sign my cameras and lenses with. And, um, he's not in the the film industry at all. Like he just kind of like found this little niche group of, I mean, it was like this rental thing that he just kind of discovered by accident. And we'll talk about that and how it's going for him and the pros and cons and, and, uh, all that good stuff. So, um, I think you'll find this very fascinating. Let's go ahead and jump right in it. Uh, Henry, thanks so much for being here, man. I, I know you're a busy guy, so I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to uh, jump on this little podcast. <laughs> No, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, why don't you just uh, go and introduce yourself a little bit? Uh, tell us who you are, where you come from. I think you might be the first person with an accent on this podcast. So. <laughs> yeah, I so need, I'm, I'm yeah. Henry. You know, obviously from uh, from the United Kingdom, from London. Um, came out to came out to sunny Los Angeles back in 2015 to uh, be a Pepperdine student. Um, didn't last very long. Um, dropped out of, of school to run a business here in LA. Um, but had a business before that I was running from back in the UK. Um, so I've been doing a mixture of e-commerce, um, dropship stuff and running our film and, um, production rental business here in, in Los Angeles. Which is how I know you, right? I think that we is should, how. 
we should say that um, I I met you and Kyle. Um, was it a while a ago? Yeah, two, two years ago now. Probably. I feel like it could have even been longer than that. Yeah, probably. It might be actually pre-pandemic. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, absolutely. At least a couple years ago, um, and it was because of that, right? You guys started yeah. a, a company called Boca Boca yeah. Reynolds. Um, and, uh, and we'll, we'll get into that. I, I want to start with your, your e-commerce business a little bit. Um, this is a creative podcast. So obviously the film industry is where most of our listeners are coming from. So we will talk mm-hmm. about Boca for the majority of the time, but I think it is important to, to mention what the e-commerce business was and, sure. and how that kind of opened you up for more possibilities. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, I started this e-commerce, um, sort of website back in 2013, 2000. 12, uh, back when I was in high school. Um, and I just had kind of a real passion for technology and a real passion for, for internet things and all that sort of stuff and started playing around with websites and building small websites. And I had a couple that I started with that really didn't, didn't go very well. Um, but kind of laid the foundation for me to, for understanding how websites work and how the, the internet kind of, uh, kind of all fits together. And I think back then when I was starting out, people still were not confident about buying online. People still were, were not confident to use eBay or PayPal or any of these kind of things that we use today that are very common and, and sort of trusted. Um, and I sort of started out working on these websites, building things. And I, I decided to, to enter into the motorcycle parts industry. Um, I found a cool supplier out in China um, that I've worked with can for- I, Can I just ask uh, why, why yeah. motorcycle parts? Like where Honestly, did that come from? it's a super, super weird thing. It's, I kind of fell into it. Um, I was originally looking at purchasing a website. What I wanted to do was buy a business that had already been kind of set up. Someone had already set up a small e-commerce store and then grow it. Um, and mm-hmm. that's what I initially, originally wanted to do. Um, and it didn't work out. Um, where I was going to get the money from kind of said no. Um, so I was left with no choice, but to kind of start from the ground up. And I'd found this business that was for sale, kind of se- selling similar things to what I sell now. And I was looking at their numbers and looking at their website and thinking, damn, this, this is rubbish. Um, I can do so much better than this. Uh, and I can do it a lot quicker. So I, I, I surveyed the market and I found it to be very sort of niche. I think they call it, they say niche in the U S right. And niche. Um, they so say, I found it to be very niche. Both, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I found it to be very niche and uh, decided that that was what I was going to do. I was going to give it a go because there wasn't much competition. Um, turns out there's like 9 million motorcycles sold every year in the United States. So it's a huge market um, that's that's very under sort of, you know, not a lot of people attacking that, that side of the industry. So I decided to go into motorcycle parts, found this fantastic um, supplier in China and decided to go down this real dropship model because I really enjoyed the the thought that I would never have to actually see my product. Um, or, or have a warehouse, right? Or have a warehouse or have yeah. any sort of logistical structure. Um, it's literally just, you know, customer places an order. I place the order with the factory and then factory ships straight to customer. And that's all automated, right? So, so if a customer places an order, are you physically saying, oh, okay, I have to place this order for the, or is it automated? Uh, it's a it's a mix um, because we do uh, some custom stuff as well. Um, the products that are that are standardized that's automated, so it just comes straight through a system and back out to my guys in China, and then they fulfill it. Um, yeah. But the the custom order stuff is all put together. I have a whole team on the back end that are constantly putting orders through. How old were you when you put this together? I was fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> How old are you now? I'm twenty three. <laughs> that's so stupid. Dude. That's so dumb. <laughs> I was, right. I was very bored at school. I was just underwhelmed by, by the whole education situation uh, and much more focused on, on internet stuff. Talk to me about your, your, uh, your family life. Uh, were your, are your parents entrepreneurs? Where does this entrepreneurial mindset come from? And were they 
supportive of it? Did they embrace it? Did they lean into it? Talk to me about some of those family. Sure. sure. So every, every sort of person in my family runs their own business. My father, mm-hmm. both sets of grandparents, and then even going back even further, everyone has always run their own business. So it wow. wasn't even like an op- option. My parents were very supportive. I've got very, very supportive parents, regardless of whatever I'm trying to do or where I'm trying to go. They've been very supportive of me since the start, which I'm very appreciative of. Um, and get to this point now, realize how, how much that kind of really helps you out when you're, when you're that age. Um, yeah. but, but parents have always been entrepreneurial. My parents have, uh, commercial development, um, property, um, built a few houses, that kind of stuff. And my dad does a lot of property stuff in the UK, but you know, running his own business. And I just kind of felt like, seeing them work so hard, I wanted to do the same thing. Um, and I wanted to do it bigger and better and kind of, you know, take the family forward in that direction. Um, so I've always just had a real passion for business. I even remember being like, you know, seven or eight years old in the playground trying to arrange like meetings with my friends, you know, like, cause I'd see my dad going and having meetings, you know, and I wanted to have meetings. <laughs> uh, you were 14. You were on the playground. Henry. <laughs> You were having you were having business meetings on the playground. I guess so. I guess so. Although while while I was at school, people weren't particularly receptive to to what I was doing, which you know kind of powered me forward even further. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah no, that's that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So so it starts making money. Pretty so yeah, it starts starts making money within. Um, I think I built the website in like November, and by February, I was seeing orders starting to come through, and yeah. at that point everyone started to twig and they were like, wait, there's money coming through from nothing. It's a website. You know, people were very confused. My, my parents, very, very confused. Um, and money started to come through and I started to really plow a lot of time and effort into it. Um, and that's when I started to really get into using a lot of the modern day marketing techniques that people use today back then in 2014, 13, um, with regards to influencers and doing a lot of social media stuff. Um, I think I started using influencers before they were even really influencers, you know, it wasn't really something companies were really doing. Um, and, and that way I kind of decided to take on the YouTube market, um, and all of the, the vloggers that were doing motorcycle stuff, um, and realized that there was these guys on YouTube that had, you know, millions of followers that were really just, you know, making vlogs about their daily life on their bikes. And I would send them free stuff and, uh, they would, take my, my products and, and put them out there on their page and showcase them to millions of people for three, four hundred dollars. Wow. Which doesn't happen today. No, of um, course not. Yeah. Now it's, yeah. We're, we're in tens of thousands. Territory. Tens of thousands, even, even, even more, yeah. you know, so uh, yeah. that was very good back then. ROI. That's yeah, that's incredible. So, so you, you've built this business, you come to Pepperdine, you realize it's not for you. What's, what's going on there with the education thing? So you, so you, do you have a, a high school di- diploma? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I do have a high school high school diploma. I right? so did the UK system and did the yeah, US course, system. Yeah. Uh, wanted to come out to America because I just wanted to be here. I came out to the US and just found the attitude that people had and kind of that whole ethos to be just so much better than it was in the UK. People, especially younger people, were kind of you know a lot more sort of support for younger people doing doing these sorts of things where in the uk everyone's I, f- I felt that people were very sort of like oh you're doing well but you know as long as you're not doing better than i am you know that sort of situation um so it's super super weird but to an american super weird but to back in the uk it was kind of the norm um but came out to came out to la and went to pepperdine and it was really a means to get me here um, it was the only way I could really get to the U.S. was to go to school. Um, so I went to Pepperdine and was just constantly sort of looking for a way for me to stay here without having to go to school um, and continuing to do my e-commerce stuff, continuing to grow the company and take on more employees. And the way I built that company was all virtual. So 
all of my employees are, are all virtual. No one is in the office. Every you know, I got two guys in El Salvador, I got two guys in Italy, I got two guys in the Philippines. Um, so I've got everyone on kind of different time zones. Um, so the way I built that company was to do it like that, so that no one would have to, have to be in the same room, and everyone could get the, reap the benefits of, of the structure of the business and kind of live a live a better lifestyle. Um, which my my guys that work for me now are very happy with the way that we work because it allows them to kind of live their lifestyle um, that they want to live. But went through Pepperdine and then met Kyle, uh, my business partner now at Boca, um, and that was about two years into Pepperdine, and that's when I slowly started to drift further and further away from from school. Um, and closer towards doing more realistic stuff here in LA. So what did that look like at first, the realistic stuff in Los Angeles? Scary. <laughs> it was it was scary. And what was it at first? Um, so essentially, um, we basically, Carl came to me one one day. I, I went over to his frat house that he was living in. He was living in the basement of a frat house in Malibu. And <laughs> I went over there and I was chatting with him, having a drink. And he was like, oh, you know, my friend, he showed me this camera. It's this much money and it rents for this much money. And I was just like, wait, what? I was like, what is this? You know, so kind of interested in cameras, interested in less about, you know, movies, cinematography or any of that stuff, but more about, you know, this asset and the fact that this asset would achieve this return um, on a monthly or weekly basis. Um, so quite quickly decided to think, okay, we'll give this a go, you know, buy a couple of things and, and see how it went. And we, we partnered with obviously Nick Shaw, um, who's a friend of yours as well, um, and kind of rented out a few things and things started to go really well. We started to see our money back in, you know, two, three months for the pieces of equipment that we were buying. And at that point, me and Kyle decided, okay, this is something we need to start taking very seriously. Um, and at that point, we kind of partnered up with Nick. And after a couple of months, we went our separate ways. And me and Kyle ended up taking over the whole company um, and yeah. sort of phasing out of Pepperdine and starting to buy more equipment and meeting people like yourself to, to consign stuff with us. Yeah. And so, so was it just the, cause you're, you're not a cinematographer, you're not in the film no. industry. You, you just kind of saw this opportunity. What mm. was it about, uh, those, those first returns that made you kind of jump ship a little bit and, and move over into the, the film industry? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think the, for me, what I was really looking for was I was looking for an investment that was a bit more bricks and mortar, um, something that was a bit more real. I think although my parents were very supportive in what I was doing, they were always sort of on the back burner, like, okay, you know, like the website stuff, is it real? You know, like, what is the value of this? You know, can you sell this website? You know, like, and that kind of always ringed in the back of my head and made me want to start Boca because it was a lot more physical and a lot more real. Um, it's something that maybe we can build generational wealth in um obviously looking back now i think that the website stuff was always very you know kind of on point um and i i, I wish i had stayed a little more true to, to to the website stuff as well as i as hard of a, as i've gone for boca um but yeah no the, the fact that it's a bricks and mortar business and the fact that you can i, I had started this e-commerce business i'd saved up quite a lot of money and i didn't really have anything to do with it and i was looking for places to put the money and things that would give me the, the highest return and i just saw that the fact that we can buy these assets and see these returns so fast um, yeah. just was extremely yeah, talking, attractive. I mean, and, and you're talking maybe 50 to 70 percent ROI annually on this. Yeah, and some of the equipment is you know 150, 200 percent. I mean, we've got some pieces of equipment that are paying off on a on a bi-monthly basis. Amazing, it's which is just it's just nuts to me. Uh, but you know, with with that amazing ROI that you get, there's a lot of other things that come into it that that kind of devalue that that ROI. Um, talk, talk to me about some of that stuff then. What's, what, uh, what do you, what do you mean? 
it's very labor intensive. Um, the business itself, the structure is extremely labor intensive. Um, it requires a lot of hands-on work, um, day-to-day um, stuff that you know that you could usually automate in an e-commerce website. Um, that is very strenuous. There's a lot of structural things that are a lot more difficult. Obviously, it's very difficult to hire people in the film industry because everyone wants to do their own thing. Uh, Because it is so freelance heavy, everyone's always trying to chase that dream of, I'm a cinematographer, I want to be an artist. But at the same time, the reality is you've got to work as well to kind of make a living if you're not uh, a big DP or a a big uh, director, et cetera. Um, So it's difficult, very difficult to hire people in in this industry, I feel like, especially going through COVID. Um, And I mean, COVID was really just the... So it felt like the nail on the coffin uh, for, for what we were doing when we were doing it. Everything was going 100% and then COVID just kind of sweeped in. But we were yeah. fortunate enough to kind of keep it at bay. Yeah, my my last consignment check from you guys was so, so it, February. So February of 2020. February 2020, right. Was the best consignment check I've, <laughs> I've to this date ever received. Yeah. And the biggest. And, and I was just like, I showed my wife this check and I was like, we made it. Yeah, we made it. <laughs> Man, like life is going to be great from here on out. Like yeah. we don't have to work if we don't want to. This is incredible. We thought and, so too. Uh, yeah. And, and then of course, you know, March comes and the entire world explodes. And, and yeah, uh, yeah I think my consignment check for March was like $340. <laughs> yeah. I mean? Yeah. It was a sad <laughs> time for it. everyone. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. It was really sad. It was, it was, a sh- I think the, there was definitely a mix of your consignment check. There was the fact that you were probably a large percentage of our inventory at that point. That's right. Um, yeah. And, and obviously March, that, uh, February that year was just a boom. Um, everyone yeah, was, was kicking off and for some reason it was just really crazy busy. Yeah. So talk to me about some of the, um, obviously, uh, I'm assuming you have pretty high turnover, uh, for a rental house and that's, and that's gotta be tough, right? Cause there's, there's employees that become so important, right? So it's so necessary and that, that know kind of the ins and outs of how to check gear in, how to check it out, yeah. um, detail oriented job. So what do you do to try and curve that, uh, high turn- turnover from employees? Yeah, I mean, turnover has been something that we've been struggling with for for a while. And I think the only way to really do that is to do two things. And firstly is pay well, um, Mm -hmm. ensure people feel, you know, they're being compensated more than fairly for their time. Um, And then to also create a a working environment where people really want to be. Kyle and me have have spent a lot of time over the last six months really focusing on that work environment and that company culture. Um, Because at the end of the day, we can build the business we're going to build, but it's the team that are really going to take it where we want it to go. Um, So that company culture and that environment where individuals want to come to work in the morning and they enjoy what they do is, is, is really important. And me and Kyle put a lot of emphasis on removing the stress factors from our employees, making them aware that, you know, that Although these situations are very important and there's a lot of money on the line, at the end of the day, it's it's us as business owners, it's our job to, to take that burden and it's your job to, to not feel that. Um, so I think in a very high stress driven industry, it's important to make sure to alleviate that from positions and, and people in those positions. And, and by doing that, we've been pretty successful in, in keeping people in the building. Um, it's been it's been pretty good for us so far, and we've had a very strong team for the last three or four months that we've really invested in, um, and we really think that that's that's how we're going to be able to take the company where we want it to go. Were you able to be cash positive fairly quickly? Are you cash positive uh, in the business? And talk to me about some of those beginnings. I know that you guys started in a garage, <laughs> um, which is 
pre-garage was my apartment. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Um, for for any, I think, great business starting in a garage seems to be the the thing, right? Yeah. The, the trend. So talk to me about going from the garage to your first uh, space, which you've already grown out of, and now you're in a bigger space, which um, which is beautiful. I think. I think you know. Anytime I see people posting pictures about it on, online, I just like have a, my heart kind of flutters. <laughs> That's great. It's, just, it's a beautiful place, man, and yeah. I, I enjoy going and hanging out on the couch. And it's like I don't even mind if I, my camera's yeah. getting prepped still. You know, like. <laughs> It's nice. It's, it's nice, nice to sit there. It's a nice environment. Yeah. So yeah. Talk to me about um, um, how you've been able to not – to make sure your overheads – I mean, you obviously survived a pandemic for yeah. you know, 18 months. So, yeah. like, um, what have you been able to do to keep your overhead low um, so that you are cash positive with the business? Sure. So, I think that that is – Keeping the business cash positive was something that I had kind of specialized in before Boca. Um, because of the way that I built my previous company, I it was very lean. You know, there's no building, there's not a lot of other costs. My my biggest cost for sort of hosting my company is my 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 hosting charge, which was like seven hundred bucks a month. So that's that's like my rent. You know, so I had this I had this in ingrained in me that the only way to start a business is to do it lean, and there's no need for debt and this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So throughout the whole entirety of, of the operations of the business, we've never been cash negative. We've always been cash positive. We've never taken on debt once. Um, so we've done everything we've done without taking on a single penny um, of, of debt, which I think was the way to do it the way we did it. Um, and I think that's been a, you know, very in our favor. I see a lot of businesses go very, very cash cash negative for the first three or four years, yeah. five years. And Rental I think a lot too, right? Because it's right. like, the, the cost of entry for a lot of these rental businesses significant. Like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna buy three Alexa Minis and three sets of lenses. That's half a million dollars. You know? Yeah, easily, yeah. easily half a million bucks. And you know, we sort of realized that, and we we realized a lot of houses were playing month to month, just kind of fighting that 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 payment. You know, yeah. they uh, they they got the, all their equipment on a payment, and it's just every month to try and mm-hmm. get higher than that payment, and they make the difference. Um, and that's obviously not the way we wanted to run our business. Um, so I think that me and Kyle realized very early on that. The quickest way for us to get up there is obviously to have an expansive inventory. Um, and the best way to obtain an expansive inventory is to go and consign it and have other people yep. buy it. Um, and I think that there's You're like in Los this- Angeles. You're in like the the heart of the yeah. entertainment industry where you have millions of owner operators in this town. Millions, millions. And and you know, there was a lot of very creative ways that me and Kyle were Kyle were able to get hold of this equipment that I think a lot of people still haven't twigged onto how to how to do that. Do you want to uh, share anything? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. Like, what? I'm, I'm maybe just maybe just a hint. Maybe a hint of uh, of what of what you. No, sure. Nothing. Uh, well, you know, nowadays um, people are very transparent with who they are, where they are, and what they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of ways to search people, and a lot of ways in which people list things that they own in places mm-hmm. they really shouldn't, you know. Oh, okay. um, so we were able to find individuals that owned certain things and hunt them down. Um, you yeah. know, we would, we would, me and Kyle would put a list of people on a, on, a, on a sheet, and we would just hunt them down, and we'd go after them. We'd find them, we'd call them, we'd email them, um, and we would get this equipment in the building, and it was something that other places really weren't doing, and I think that from a rental house perspective, it's very difficult to find equipment if you don't know where it is. You know, the only other option is to really go and buy it or convince someone to spend 200 grand on the fly, which if you can find the person who already who has already got it and they've already spent that money, then it's less of a risk. You know, it's less yeah. of an ask um, to try and get that in the building. Yeah. For those that don't understand uh, consignment, can you just briefly like talk about what it is and what it looks like? 
Sure. So consignment essentially in our business is um, when we have sort of someone like like Lars, like like yourself, who owns a, a large lens set, say set of Ari Signature Primes, you know, they're $200,000. And Lars would basically give us his lenses. They go in our vault and then we rent them out for him under our name and we split the, we split the profits. Um, and it's a, it's a nice way for someone who is trying to get multi sort of utility out of their asset um, from a rental perspective and then from a usage usage perspective as well. And I think we've been successful in our, in our consignment structure because we allow for a, a sort of a very transparent approach to rentals. Um, and if our, a lot of rental houses, if you want to get hold of your equipment, it's difficult. It's not an easy sort of thing to do to go and ask the rental house for your $200,000 lens set. But we try and make that as easy as possible uh, yeah. because we want everyone to get as much value from the asset yeah. as, as possible. And, and, that, and that has been my experience and that's right. and that's why i continue to consign with you guys and and support you guys and talk about uh boca in the community because it, awesome. it has it has been an incredible experience for me um that's you awesome. know I've, I've been able to uh like you said it's get i get the most value out of my assets right mm. it's like obviously it makes sense for me to own you know alexas and lenses and signature primes and ultra primes and all these things because i use them right i, I yep. like to use them on my shoots and i like to have the option to like to say do you want to shoot this on anamorphic do you want to shoot this on ultras do you want to shoot this mm-hmm. on something a little cleaner like and and tailor the look to the project but i don't want to have this you know like half a million dollars worth of lenses just sitting around doing nothing doing nothing but anyway so yeah so it's so it's nice it's nice to be able to know that there's there's you know, these lenses, these cameras are making money when I'm not working or vice versa. Exactly. And yeah. sort of that passive, um, you know, that passive income was, was something that we really wanted to, to head towards to structure yeah. for a lot of people. Yeah. So then uh, talk to me then about, are you transitioning to owning gear? Is that something that is valuable for Boca at this time? Yeah. We're transitioning to owning a lot more equipment. Um, yeah. We've obviously figured out that there's a lot of sort of the rental house necessity items um, that are sort of the money makers that pay off every couple of months or every couple of weeks, which we've gone very heavy into. Um, For the first time ever, we took on a decent amount of debt in the last couple of months um, to really acquire a lot of this equipment that is so high on the on the return. Um, And then we've made me and Kyle have made a few personal investments in in large equipment assets um, that sort of hopefully will pay off on a on a personal basis as well uh and, and is that mostly just the lenses or talk to me about uh yeah <laughs> so i think for, for me <laughs> yeah, there we go great okay yeah so what's what's been uh uh boca's best investment best roi for for you guys to own gear personally alexa mini oh yeah sure. alexa yeah, mini has been phenomenal i mean with regards to lot you know if you want to go into the specifics, the you know the seven hundred three bolts and the the handheld monitors and the batteries mm. and the me- media, some of those um, accessories, all, right? Yeah. yeah, they're just killers. You know, easy rigs and all the sort of rental house you know pieces of equipment that everyone needs on a set are just you know constantly out. Um, I think I was looking at the utilization report of some of our equipment and you know looking at the seven hundred three bolts, they're on sort of like a 97 percent utilization. Um, so oh. for every Every they're out all the time, you know, back back to back. Um, so that's been very very good for us. And those are pieces of equipment that, <laughs> yeah, I always need more. Okay. Although they stopped making them, so it's a nightmare. Uh, uh, now they're now I'll they're even you. more of a hot commodity. Yeah, yeah, I'll get you another seven hundred three. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, they've been great. Seven hundred three has been great. But I, personally, I've started to you know transition a lot of my investment towards vintage and classic lenses. Yes. Um, I sort of see the same value in those that 
maybe someone who specializes in watches would look at vintage watches uh, or someone who specializes in vintage cars, you know, it's like a similar kind of investment. Whereas mm-hmm. for me, it's difficult to go and buy a set of ultra primes like you do, or a set of, um, you know, cook anamorphics because I don't get that secondary utility that you get with regards to using it. Um, right. so for me, I have to look at it from a little bit of a different perspective, which is why I like the vintage stuff, although it doesn't rent high volume like the commercial grade newer lenses do um i'm hoping to achieve long-term appreciation within those assets um and they absolutely should right it's like yeah. it, that has been the trend because it's it has a been finite, the trend. Have a finite amount of them they yeah. have a unique look that cannot be re- reproduced um yeah, because totally. they were basically like i mean now we we make lenses with computers that's just the yes. way we make like all yep. the lenses, all the glass is the is identical. So you yep. can find a special set of vintage lenses that looks unique and unlike anything out there in the entire world. Yep. And that's only going to appreciate, you know, yeah. it's like, like you said, vintage cars, you know, it's just yeah, like, it's just, it's you, to me, it's the exact same like, thing. Like a, you know, a Porsche from 1970, like that's going to appreciate differently than, oh. you know, than Porsche that was produced today, you know? No, absolutely. I mean, I, I the example I always use is Aston Martin DB5. Um, back in 2008, we were looking at buying one. My dad was looking at buying one, and they were like 60 grand. Um, now, the top of the line Aston Martin DB5 refurbished, looking about 1.3, 1.4 million. Incredible. And that's like, what, 12 years? Yeah. I guess the trick, though, is that it's you don't really know what's going to appreciate, right? So so I didn't have a crystal ball five years ago when I saw a set of K35s for 30 grand. You know what I mean? And now you can't, yeah. sell, now you can't find them for less than 200. Yeah. You know, and that, that's like... That phenomenon, I can't explain. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have enough, I don't have enough knowledge into cinematography to really, to really explain that. Yeah, no, I, that's, that's kind of been my thing. Like I, right now, like, Obviously, I own cameras because I'm a cinematographer and I need cameras. I don't think I'm going to buy the newest, greatest camera every time it comes out every year like yeah. or every other year. That's just for me. It's just like the Alexa Mini LF has been an absolute godsend and it's been an incredible experience for me shooting on this camera. And I don't really want to change that anytime soon. Yeah. Um, so like people go, oh, you've thought about the Sony Venice. Are you going to get the new Alexa when it comes out? The 4K Super 35. It's like, I don't know, man. I, maybe not. Yeah. Like I'm pretty yeah. satisfied with camera. Lenses, on the other hand, I, I'm kind of on, on the same page as you. It's like I see that as a long-term investment that I don't really care if the ROI is as sexy as a camera body. Yeah. Like for me, it's the long game. 100%. It's like buying a, it's like buying a house. You know, um, right. A lot of the time, it's the same sort of money you're talking. Um, one would be a down payment. The other is just buying the lenses, I guess. Um, and you know, I think that if you're looking at a set of something like you know, Kawa's, a lot of set of Kawa anamorphics, I think three or four years ago, they were 40 grand. Um, and yeah. now they're there now they're about 110. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, so if you're lucky, maybe 90. Yeah. yeah. If you're very lucky, maybe 90, you get a nice, nice, nice set. Um, but you know, I think there's a lot to be said for that. And you know, the industry is so niche. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity to acquire quantities of these lens sets to potentially further down the line, have control over values of certain things. Um, I think the market is, is sort of positioned in that way. Um, that if someone were to own 10, lets, 10 sets of cook speed brankers, you're sort of in a position to manipulate the market there a little bit. Interesting. Interesting. So uh, what's talking about the future for Boca? What do you what do you envision? I mean, you, you took this e-commerce website that was doing very well. I don't know if we talk numbers. I don't know if you want to talk numbers, um, but uh, it was doing very well. You were making sure. lots of money from it. Um, 
and you you transition to a brick and mortar that is incredibly time intensive, that is incredibly mm-hmm. stressful, that is kind of a twenty four seven business, yeah. um, because you got cameras going down at two o'clock in the morning on an overnight, and yeah. <laughs> you got producers, you know, with this million dollar show calling you up, screaming at you, you know, because it's like like so like you've got you took this beautiful little seven hundred dollar a month like thing that just generated tons of <laughs> online income, almost like. <laughs> possibly easy yeah uh, and you and you traded it for like the most stressful situation of your entire life yeah um why and what is the future um i think i'm addicted to stress um to start <laughs> with uh i think <laughs> pressure make diamonds and that's always the way i've seen it um and i think yeah. if i wasn't doing anything like this i'd be very bored um so i think the future for although, although it seems like i've transitioned to Boca my, my e-commerce stuff is very still, you know, very much for me still at the forefront of what I'm doing. Um, it still is the breadwinner for, for me on a monthly basis. Um, and that's how I make most of my money. Um, but Boca I see as a much more long-term, um, investment. Um, I see it as that bricks and mortar potential for generational wealth. Um, I hope I'm hoping to build a really large company, um, with a great structure, with great people involved and hopefully an industry that is exploding, um, content, is everything right now you know even from from youtube you know you've got youtube guys shooting on alexa minis and signatures i mean i've never seen this sort of stuff before um and it's only going to continue to go in that direction um but for how we how we kind of want to build the company going forward i just really want to continue to invest in these assets that we keep we keep purchasing because it's just such great residual income um and then continue to build the business boca i'm trying to take as we're trying to go as big as possible um, with the company. We're trying to scale up the rentals as high as possible. Um, but I really see the entertainment and film movie industry is just such a interesting space to kind of expand. There's just so much opportunity. If you're looking at grip and lighting, you're looking at studios and stages, you're looking at production supplies, you know, there's just so many different things that you can venture yeah, out into. I mean, look at, look at Avon or, or yeah, Elton. exactly. Coyote, any of these guys, you know, they, we, we went past their, their uh, warehouse the other day, Coyote, and they had like 60 trucks um, on, on, on the lot. And it's just that's such an immense amount of, of assets sitting there that are generating income on a monthly basis. Um, so that's extremely attractive to me and to, and to Kyle and I think as we're in the in the trenches at the moment, but I'm hoping that we can continue to build our build our team in the direction that we're we're trying to, to hopefully make it a bit more of a stable environment for everyone that's involved. Yeah. I love it. Do you have any advice for any entrepreneurs starting out? Uh, obviously, like most most of our audience are, are either filmmakers or artists or creatives. They're not they're not building businesses like sure. yours. Sure. Um, so but uh, with that in mind, do you have any advice for for our audience? Sure. I, I think the one thing I always say to people is the difference between a successful person and a non-successful person is simply resilience. Um, I think that's what it boils down to at the end of the day. I think if you're trying to be successful and you're trying to get somewhere in life, the difference between your ability to be successful and not is how resilient you are. Um, there's a lot of really crazy people that are very successful in this world. And it's simply down to the fact that they never gave up. Um, if you try hard enough and you know long enough, you will you'll get there. Yeah. Do you, do you consider yourself a lucky person? No, no. For, fortunate, fortunate. I, I, I'm definitely fortunate, but there's not much luck involved in what we've done. Yeah. It's a lot of hard work. A lot of hard work. Not a lot of luck. I think anything luck has not been in our favor um, with COVID and whatnot. Yeah, no, um, you're right. So I think fortunate for sure. Always thankful um, for, for everything. Definitely fortunate, but not, not lucky. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Henry. I'll, I'll let you go, man. I appreciate your uh, your willingness to jump on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Great to talk with you, Lars. Yeah, absolutely. 
Thank you guys for sticking around. I appreciate you. Go ahead and uh, and let's share this podcast with some friends. I we are getting some very organic growth at this point, and uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun for me to kind of hang back and watch it. And um, even even with that big hiatus that I took uh, over the last couple months from the, those films, um, so it's being talked about in the community. I'm getting lots of neat emails and messages from you guys, and uh, and I and I don't want that to stop. So if you have been thinking about reaching out and, and uh, creating a relationship, let's do it, man. Let's get some lunch or something. Uh, anyway, have a great week. We'll see you next time.